0: I still get frustrated why ha- how we use hack. Oh, can you tell me a, ha- a life hack, how I can do this faster? I'm like, hacking is illegally Oh, Jesus, you know, daddy. All right, all right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I'm going upstairs.
1: Uh, okay. I'm going in my room. Uh. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA.
2: Hello.
0: And Jason in DC. Hello.
1: Hi, everybody. How that was you? so
0: melodic, Trisha. That was so melodic. I know, it was the, the trill. Hello. That yeah,
2: was yeah so I, I was Thompson. intimidated.
0: I, I, I wasn't ready to say anything after that. I don't know.
2: <laughs> Oh, intimidated by, in, t- intimidated by Trisha. That is, powerful.
0: That's, of course, baby.
1: That should be your. That should be your signature <laughs> scent. Intimidated by Trisha.
0: We yeah. should <laughs> <laughs> oh, get T-shirts made up. <laughs>
1: Let me ask you two a question: Have you ever, ever had to fire someone? Yes. Trisha? No. Really? Mm-mm-mm. Do you yeah. think you? Could, uh, how do you think you would do it?
2: Actually, poorly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a very self-reflective thing to say,
1: Jason. I know you've been had to fire people. How'd that look?
0: I mean, I it's something I really don't like doing. Who does? Yeah. Um, I mean,
2: I bet you some people get off on it.
0: Yeah. It's it's really hard. Like I've done it many times, frankly, and I still don't know that I ever feel like I approached it the right way like you slap them or something what do you mean like it is hard at times because there are all kinds of liability reasons why you have to be careful what you right. say and how you say it and and so it's tough i mean typically you know i really strive to be an open and honest person i think by nature i i tend to be that i think but once you get into a realm of having to fire someone you know it becomes very much You've documented here, but don't say this. And the impact it has on the people who are still on staff can be very, very challenging. And the dynamic- Unless they agree that person sucked. Although, although even that, in my experience, even if there's someone that people didn't like, it still sends a chill, not always, but sometimes it sends a chill. And then it's like, oh, wait, but then maybe I can be fired. Well, Well, sure. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) No, you're right. So I don't know.
1: I'm in, a, I'm in a position now where I don't really have the power to fire someone, but I could certainly make someone's job hard. I don't know. I just got to thinking about it. I've had to fire people in the past.
0: I'm not saying I got off on it, Trisha, but it's it's sickeningly thrilling. If, if I'm responsible for an organization, which I've been, and you know the person is having a very negative impact on the organization, then absolutely, your job is to... Terminate the person and you can still do it humanely. You can give them severance, whatever. Um, Wow. You're really rough, Chris. I'm rough.
1: I'm really rough. I let people know, like, listen, this is the problem. This first of all, I'm really clear. Like this is coming in. This is why you were hired. You've not met these benchmarks. Therefore, ipso facto, you simply don't belong here because you can't perform these functions. I take no responsibility for this, but you're fired. Because no, I
2: mean, do no t- responsibility I don't. for this. <laughs> like I, I, you know what it is? Like the, the worst thing for me, see, I I have landed in situations where I am supervising or I'm responsible for people I didn't choose. Yeah, yeah. And too. so sure. that's a real tricky thing for me because I I've now understand that I have a conception of how work should get done and how things fit together that not everybody else on my team agrees with. So they've chosen someone based on their vision, And when I encounter and work with this person, I'm like, what was your vision? Because I don't really know what this person's contributing. (laughs) I haven't had to, but part of it for me is thinking about having to communicate that, I'm sorry, you were just not the right fit for what we need. Yeah, sorry. And then I take personal responsibility for that. I think that hiring is a really, really important role in an organization and fit is really important. And so I feel like unless someone has been extremely egregious and like not set up well for their jobs, that it's almost on you as, a, as an employer when you've chosen the wrong person.
1: Your thing totally makes sense. My thing is like when I'm in the position to do the choosing, I'm very clear about what I'm looking for, right? Yeah. And I make that super clear in the materials in the initial interview, in the second interview, make it really, really clear what we're looking for and make it really, really clear the threshold at which we cannot accommodate you <laughs> And so Austin, I, I stand <laughs> by what I'm saying. I don't take any responsibility. You have to go.
0: I oh God, I sound
1: so terrible. I'm going to cut all this you
2: out. Do. Right no, I don't sound... cut it
1: out.
0: Don't cut it out. <laughs> no, I, it's not terrible, it, It's but I find it hard. I, I'll tell you like, Supervising teachers, I find this really hard because there are people in my experience who interview great and have great intentions Mm. in many cases. Mm. But in a classroom with twenty five to thirty kids, just can't manage the classroom. And that's really hard. I mean, no question, you gotta do it, right? Because you gotta they must know, right? They must you, know You, you would good. think, but no. Sometimes, but no. sometimes. Well, then they
1: have to go, right? <laughs> no, no, you're right. Then they, ha- if they, if you don't right, have they the- they have to
2: go. They have to go. Do you know but- what, though? My experience of it is that people don't know they're bad. They create a whole storyline around why they're failing to deliver. That actually insulates them from knowing whether they're bad or good at their job.
0: That sucks. I think that's I know. absolutely true. Listen, not, not in every case, but in many cases.
2: Yeah. I experience people as terrible at their job and I almost feel like they should quit in recognizing oh. that they're terrible at their job. But when you talk to them, they think they're fine. They think you know, they're just doing it. Okay. <laughs> you know, what's the,
0: I'll tell you what's the worst. I don't know if you've ever like in certain professional situations, I've like, you do like a set, you have them do a self eval, and then oh. you do an eval and then you compare the best is when someone's good. And they think like, cause then as a supervisor, you're just cheering them on, you're building them up. But that time when someone comes in, like, I just remember like five point scale, right? Five is the best. And they gave themselves all fives. And, and, and you're like, yeah, I mean, no. if, if, if then you if, have to go regardless of no, no, what my what, opinion is. No, no, that. no, no, but you know, I, if someone <laughs> is terrible and they do that, then it is easy. You're going to fire them. But like, I've had people like, they're like threes or fours and they're five across the board. And then it's so hard to give them feedback, right? Cause like, just like you said, Trish, like they have this narrative that they are just knocking out of the park. Like, you know when you did this and then it's like what what do you mean no i think you misunderstood like oh that's the worst
2: i just don't understand how people don't know they're terrible i i feel like the lack of self-awareness there is 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 almost insulting
1: see but like i'm intimating the lack of self-awareness should be enough to get you fired <laughs> Period. Sorry, you no because you know what but we'd I'm have be 20 workers
0: left in the society that's the problem you'd have nowhere to hire but seriously, if you do, if you lack the
1: ability to evaluate your own work, if that work is important, then you shouldn't be on the job because you're never going to get better and you can't take criticism. So if you do something wrong, you won't be, it can't be pointed out to you. You need to go, you know, if you're working we'll with children, it. if you're working on traffic safety, whatever, whatever, it is, you can't be told, then you got to get the hell out. Sorry. Actually, not Sorry.
0: Yeah, get the hell out of here. And this is another reason why Chris as like a public school district employee doesn't work because 99% of people cannot be fired.
2: Well, I, listen, you could just tell how I feel from my facial expression. I tried, but.
1: Yeah, you don't have much of a poker face with people. Yeah, nope. if, if Trisha doesn't like you or think you're confident, <laughs> you know, holy crap, do you know? It's shocking, really. It's like- <laughs> It's you've never seen since- like
2: Listen, I've gotten better at it. The more I've worked in different environments, I think I've improved on my poker face. Although I've been told a few times in meetings,
1: "Can you fix it? lack of self-awareness? You see that? Trisha. <laughs>
0: Chris would fire you right now, You're Trisha. fired. I don't work with you. <laughs> but guess what? Pack your things
2: and get the hell out. Um, I mean, uh, I try to be real pleasant. That's the way I figure out about it now. I'm just super nice when someone is incompetent. because There's no way for me to deal. I just like. Okay, so
1: so let's barrel into our first topic. Jason.
0: A lot of people are asking, I'm certainly asking myself, is whether Congresswoman Pelosi should continue to be the Speaker of the House. The fact that you had a disastrous economy, a fatal pandemic, and a winning Democrat at the top of the ticket, and still lose seats in the house. You had so much kind of going for you record, you know, fundraising. Um, And I think that that is a big responsibility of the speaker of the house is to make sure your members get reelected, make sure your, your uh, constituency uh, grows so that you have more power. And she lost power in the house. Um, Of course, there are other things we can look at. I'd love to hear your perspectives on how she's done with legislation and whatnot. But to me, it's a very legitimate question is, is she, being effective as the speaker given what just happened in the election.
2: My question about is sort of like the down ballot issue, right? That seems, I mean, we had one of the highest turnouts that we've ever had in an the election. Highest turnout the
1: in the highest, highest ever, ever. Yeah. history.
2: Is it really? It's now turned out to be the highest in The American
1: highest history. turnout in American history.
2: And I think I was um you know I was watching and listening about sort of like how that played out in terms of local races. The GOP have nothing to be upset about. Things worked out really well for them, aside from the loss of a president, which I think by this time, I think yes. eventually they'll be like, we're okay with that. Um, and so when I think about Pelosi and pe- and my impression of her, I get the sense that she's not quite ready for the world that we're living in right now. I agree. She's- that's the part, that's it. I think that what? there's a space by which she's completely kick-ass in the way that people love her. People, She's kick-ass the way people loved um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? But like for a specific time and moment in history. But I think the democratic tent is changing and shifting. And there are new questions that are being asked by folks like AOC and the increasing number of the squad Mm -hmm. socialist Democrats. And one of the things I thought was really noteworthy is that people who ran on like Medicare for all, all won their races.
1: And everyone who opposed it lost.
2: And everyone who opposed it lost. And I don't get the feeling that she is for it. And so that tells me that she's out of sync with like her constituents.
1: Well, at least with the party in general, I think she's out of sync. And this is why I doubled down on what you just said is that I feel as if she's not, 2020 isn't her year. And with Biden coming in, Biden has made, I know everyone's like, show us the money. And maybe he will, maybe he won't. It's too early to say, and I'm not gonna be a pessimist, but Biden has worked really hard to get as many people of color and women into the room uh, as advisors and the cabinet is shaping up. And he said he wants to look like America and stuff like that energy just doesn't seem to reflect what Nancy, where Nancy Pelosi is coming from. Like I can't get the image out of my head of her in Congress in Kente cloth, like taking a knee during, I mean, it was so embarrassing, like so deeply (laughs) embarrassing and, (laughs) <laughs> I mean, we're all laughing and we have all laughed, but it 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 really underscores like some real deep issues I have with her and the congressional leadership. Like one, there were no black people who worked for them that pointed out that was a bad idea or felt comfortable telling that was a bad idea. On top of that, they just didn't do any work. They didn't do any any work about that. And I feel like, and what I mean by work about that, they didn't even look to see like, how is this going to appear? Like how might this appear to people of color it was, it just seems so wrong for the moment. And in looking towards the future, like, is she the right person to be heading up the party? Like, look, we, Democrats have the majority in the house. And as part of her responsibilities, it's bringing bills to the floor, picking the order when things are going to be introduced. And I just don't know if I trust her anymore to introduce things in the order in which they're going to be relevant. If it's up to her, I just don't know if I trust her for that anymore. And, well, I'll, let me stop there. Jason.
0: Well, no, I I, pre, I mean, I, it sounds like we're, we're, we have consensus here. I'll just pile on. Sorry.
2: Yeah, Nancy. <laughs> Sorry,
0: Speaker Pelosi. <laughs> I'm just going to pile on. But I, I agree with everything you both said. And I would just add, I think impeachment, not that I think there's anything she could have done to get Trump removed, like the Senate wasn't going to remove him. Like, I get that. She waited a long time to do it. I think he could have been impeached way earlier, even before the Ukraine call. I think there were plenty of other things that she chose to sit on, not not do anything about. And then the other thing, and I this is maybe another topic for another time, but the fact that there hasn't been a second COVID relief bill, you know, the Senate put, you know, money on the table. Now, not enough, but her posture in that negotiation and in others has been we're gonna hold out till we get what we want. And at this moment we're past the presidential election. People have lost jobs, et cetera. I'm not saying that's her fault. I think that Republicans are more at fault, but she could have gotten a lot of money for Americans. And I'd like to think she could have struck a deal. It wouldn't have been enough. She could have blasted it while she signed it. She could have said, we're still going to introduce a new bill, but she basically said no to hundreds of millions of dollars on the table that people needed. So for those reasons, uh, um, yeah, I just don't think she's the leader that that our country needs in that role.
2: But is she right for a country that has Biden as a president? Does that make it different no. in that time? I, You know,
1: honestly, and I know it's really in vogue to be really negative and down about the incoming president, but all the overtures that he's made, um, if you take them at face value for what that means, if you take it at face value, I think he's trying to move move pull America out of the black hole that it was tipping into and some of the things that he said about systemic racism about uh African Americans about trans people about About poor people about the climate like I just feel like he is going to be a twenty first century president, at least, he's that's- moving in
0: the right direction.
1: Yeah, those—that's all the bells that he's ringing right now, right? And th- it's a—it's a different conversation about whether we can trust and believe. Like at the end of the day, the proof will be in the pudding. But if that's what he's signaling, like I said earlier, like what has Pelosi said or done that's shown that she fits in with that vision? I—it doesn't seem like. And I guess the question that I want to pivot to is like, if not her then who, if not a certain person, then what is the criteria for that person? And I'm just gonna overtip my hand. I know I know it's in vogue and someone's gonna say it like AOC. I don't know if AOC is ready for this moment just yet, but I do feel like maybe someone a little younger, maybe someone a little darker <laughs> might fit into this role better than a white woman in her eighties from California. I don't know.
0: I guess I'll, I'll argue not quite the other side, but just another perspective I'm guessing, you know, what Pelosi is known to be very good at, which I think she deserves this, is she's very good at raising money. She raises a lot of money. And I would guess if you got her to be very candid, I don't know her actual personal convictions, obviously, when it comes to things like Medicare for all, but I'm guessing she might say, well, there are a lot of people that donate to the Democratic Party that if Medicare for all was the you know, the the anthem was the slogan, they wouldn't donate, like talking about big, you know, Wall Street kind of donors. And she may be right about that, but I guess guess my point, what I'm saying here, even though I'm still game for the pylon, is that there are systemic problems why um, these things are difficult, why the Democratic Party can't move further, or I won't say can't, doesn't move further to the left. We could debate, and I don't know the answer, whether they'd actually do better if they move further to the left or whatever, but so, so I don't want to put it all on her, but generally I'm agreeing with what you said, Chris. And I guess I say this because like an AOC, I mean, it would be very interesting. She's so electrifying. There's so many reasons why that would be Maybe too really, electrifying. really, really interesting. Well, that, that's the thing is then then though does fundraising, and I hate to think this way, but it's a legitimate question would be, would she be able to keep some of the people who are in the tent in the tent? And I don't know the answer. I'm not saying no, but um, I do think it gets very complicated. But I I think we all agree, again, is that Pelosi, I think it it clearly would be helpful to the party if there was new leadership, in in my opinion.
2: Like last summer, there was this question of whether Pelosi had like a women of color issue, right? Like, because they thought that she wasn't supporting the freshmen, um, freshmen Congress folks and the the squad and all of that. And I, I can't help but think about this as a as a first wave feminist issue, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, and 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 what and who and what Pelosi represents, and a kind of feminism that is absent intersection and is absent consideration of issues that are animating for women of color. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of Nancy Pelosi as very much a power mover within a, within a very white space. And I in think an, she's an obviously should be, in an old guard white space. And I, she's definitely someone to be respected. And I I would never disregard her in any of those ways. But I I feel like the future of the party is not her.
1: But when is she going to recognize that and step to the side? You Arguably. Howard
2: does not concede. It must
1: be taken. Then it be forced out. And But now is the time to do it. I don't know if this class of incoming representatives has the balls to do it, but let's be real. Like Democrats lost seats in the house.
0: Yeah. Um, Now is the time to do it. You're right. Now
1: is the time to do it because when midterms roll around, no matter what happens, you know, (laughs) you know what's going to happen is that people's taxes are going to increase because of Trump's 2017 tax bill, which increases taxes on people who make less than a hundred thousand dollars over time. Uh, every couple of years until 2025. I don't know I don't know if that can be repealed or not. I'd have to look that up. But when two years from now, when things are probably worse off for some Americans as Biden's trying to get his agenda enacted, like now is the time to rush forward for things like a stimulus bill, things like undoing past Trump legislation that has to do with taxes and punishing people who are poor. Like now is the time to do that. And maybe now, Trisha, is not the time to like consolidate old world power and that sort of thing like, because by the time the midterms roll around, Democrats may not have the house, which means that it could be two years where we're gonna move it at a, at a snail's
0: pace. You H- would say they probably won't, right? First first term, uh, Cong- uh, House of Representatives shares the party with the president, usually flips. Um, yeah.
2: And this is why I think your signaling has to be right. You know, like I think the the fights that I've seen online now, I don't know if those really represent internal fights about the direction of the party. Should it be centrist? Should it go further left? I mean, listen, let's, let me just cut it out for you. Go as far left as you can because the pendulum is going to have to swing to the right anyway. So go far left. But it's just... I just think that there has been there's been some signaling that on the ground the party is not being responsive to who's really voting and what the issues are like that on the ground that is not what's resonant and so for the people who are who were reelected and were very popularly reelected they really represent a new face and a new voice and I don't know if the leader of the house speaker of the house truly understands that and truly sees that as valuable and is not thinking about it in, in, a, in a kind of resistant way. Now, as someone who works with lots of women in lots of different settings across many different um, spaces, my experience has been that no one is going to yield, not, not men and certainly not women who feel as if it is their space that they have earned They are not going to yield the floor and say, you know what? There's a new generation coming. I need to get out the way. As a matter of fact, they're going to stomp on you. They're going to stomp on you and they're going to insult you. And then they call you names and they're going to say you're you're inexperienced.
1: Which is what Pelosi said to AOC and the squad when they were coming in. Before they could even get started they were expressing all of their big revolutionary ideas. And Pelosi was very much like, whoa, whoa, whoa.
2: Whoa, play your a position. Second.
1: I'm driving this bus, bitches. <laughs> very much like that was the energy. And I tend to think that I am, uh I'm not gonna say I'm a conservative person, but like when, when I'm considering like trends and changes, like I'm, I'm sort of like, okay, I think there can be an in- incremental aspect to this. Maybe not over an entire generation, but I understand yep. some dominoes have to fall before other dominoes fall. This particular domino just feels like it's overstated. It's welcome. Thank you, Nancy Pelosi, for everything that you've done. But I just feel like the moment is moving past her. So she's got to go. Uh, I, I, She's just got to go. Not because <laughs> she's a bad person, just because she's the wrong person.
0: It's and I, time.
1: I don't think the incoming class has the balls for it. I don't know who else would be up in for contention for it, honestly.
2: Well, I think there was a period in time when we were considered, when it was between Nancy and and, um, an older African-American woman, I believe, who had been there for quite some time. What is her name? Her name is escaping me and I wish I had remembered. But, um, and so my sense is that I mean, let's be honest, I'd love to see that. But I think part of this, I mean, but no, but part of this also is the question of timing, right? It's kind of like when I thought that homie wasn't right for the moment. These old world male ideas about how you fight, they were not ready to fight a Trump presidency. They were not ready to get in the mud. They were not ready to deal with all the ways that we are not going to have gentlemen's agreement. That's what I like. They weren't, and to some degree, I feel like that's exactly the case. There's this whole narrative built around Pelosi as like some sort of chess move player. And I, I haven't seen that, but mm. maybe someone wiser and smarter will, will let me know mm, we'll what see. her chess moves were this year.
1: I'll, I'll be interested to see. I mean, I won't be interested to see. I think I know. we all know how it's gonna go in January. <laughs> I think we all know how it's going to go in January. And I just, I hope it doesn't impede Biden too much with whatever his agenda is going to be.
0: If the Senate stays Republican, which everyone's worried that it will, it's going to be hard to get anything done, no matter who you are. So I'm just thinking, it's just occurred to me right now, if you're someone who wants to challenge Pelosi for leadership, now might not be the time you want to do it. Because you're worried that if you do it, and then you've got an obstructionist, Uh, Republican Senate to deal with. You're not getting anything done. You're going to look like a failure, even though there are systemic reasons why you can't get anything done. Mm -hmm.
1: Jason with the good points.
0: Nice. (laughs) Just just came to me right there. Wow. Like, I'll wait this one out. (sighs) Well.
2: We'll see.
1: We certainly will. Barreling into our second topic. Let's talk about DEI. Now, listeners, have we talked about this before? Because... (laughs)
2: If
0: you've heard us talk about this before, please tweet but, us
1: at. Before the show, there was a a whole other show between the three of us about whether we've talked about this before. So if any of this sounds familiar, please let us know how our positions have changed. Or or this. not.
0: Or not. Since the first time I you heard I thought this was a rerun. <laughs> you said the exact same things you said last time. Can you tell us what date that was? Because we're not sure which episode. Yes, was. please. Please. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. I'm- convinced we taped an episode about it but
0: it no, been no i'm sure we did but Listeners, i don't know if it ever came get out get
2: ready
1: <laughs> get ready for a half of a new episode and half of shit we talked about before so what did i want to talk about i want to talk about dei in the workplace in your workplace so after george floyd america woke up one morning and realized that america was systemically racist and what did, what did they want to do about it They wanted to hire people to come into your workplace and tell white people that they are uh, systemically racist and tell people of color that for the first time you will be heard. And the truth of the matter is, is that through my non-scientific research with people of color in spaces, is that these DEI efforts don't really do much. And in some ways they're actually damaging to people of color in there. And I know that's a very broad brush, but what I wanted to talk about is Why are DEI efforts failing? This seems like this would be the moment. This time brings us the largest audience to hear and to discuss things like institutional and systemic racism. Yet somehow the way that is playing out on the ground just isn't increasing equity and is actually making some people of color feel more alienated in the workspace. So my question is this, why are DEI efforts failing? And if they are failing, what should they be replaced with? to actually increase diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workspace.
2: Do we think that when you are embarking on a DEI effort in your workplace, that anything that you are about to do is new to you? Are you unaware that you don't have representation on the board? are you aware that maybe your organization is overwhelmingly black in the support staff, but not in the leadership role? Like what is the new information that a DEI process will unveil for you such that you will begin to act differently? Like that's my central question with DEI efforts. Like, it's like if I'm having a relationship with you and you've been abusive and suddenly we're going to therapy how do I? How should I be convinced that the relationship will no longer be abusive? Like, is there some kind of reckoning that the other person will come to that should be a red alert to me, Chris? Like, hello, I'm admitting that I've been abusive, well, and so I, therefore I want to talk about it therapeutically. Like, is that a signal?
0: I have an answer to that. Oh, and I, this is not always how DEI initiatives go. I think that so often what perpetuates inequity and exclusion in companies, organizations, really does rest in policies or the absence of policies. I can tell you, you know, I've spent time in a couple different organizations looking at what on their face, I've thought seemed to be pretty standard looking policies, you know, around things like whether people can work from home and, you know, whether you can come to work at flexible times, like that seem on their face to not necessarily have a bias to them, but then upon further, you know, analysis do, mm-hmm. um, they do have disparate impacts on differently situated people. And I think that if you have a, an organization or a company with leadership that is truly open to looking at policies how policies may be driving inequities, how new policies could make things more equitable, more inclusive. I think a lot of progress can be made. I'm not saying everything rests at the policy level because I don't think it does, but I think one of the failings of a lot of DEI efforts is that they don't look deeply into policy. It's much more of a conversation about, and I, I don't mean to downplay this, but conversation about how people feel and how things are perceived. Again, not that those things aren't important, But when you really dig into the DNA, you know, the, the structural underpinnings of an organization, you can find a lot there. And I think, again, if people are open to change, I do think there's opportunity for improvement there.
1: There is such a yawning portal. Once you talk about being open to change, that's huge. You know what that means? Like change, (sighs) look, I'm going to share something. So I was hired to do some DEI work for an organization and it was me and two other colleagues. We went in, we did this thing for this organization and it didn't work. It didn't work because the black people who worked there were so resentful, so resentful of the way that they have been treated by their colleagues. And what's more is that they brought up real systemic issues that was going on as far as like who gets to be full-time, who gets to be part-time, like who gets to be, you know, why is there only one black person in the decision-making room, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We brought this to the very well-meaning white people at the top and said, listen, this is a problem. And they were like, okay, well, we'll look at that. And I'm like, failure. That's that's the failure right there. (laughs) Because when you say open to change, it means you have to be responsive to what's going on. Like I already told you, there's no more work that needs to be done. You need to, with a stroke of a pen, fix things in your organization. But like Trisha mentioned earlier on a different topic, nobody wants to cede power and that's the problem. Like, I like Trisha's opening question. Like, what are these efforts gonna show you? (laughs) Like, why are we going after this? I, I feel like a lot of people don't answer that question adequately before they get started.
2: Or the other question is, why haven't you done this before? What has been the reason? No,
1: that's everyone sheepishly looks into the corner of the room if you ask that.
2: So, you know, the big question that people are asking is, let's take a look at your board. So the question is, why isn't your board filled with more people of color? Well, in our mind, let's be honest, board members are there to make money for you. They're Mm -hmm. fundraisers for you. They are cachet um, and entree into certain spaces.
1: Or they already have wealth and power and money.
2: But that's what I mean. They're there to make money for you, right? Mm -hmm. So there you are picking a board member who has access to money, but you then have to admit that only certain groups of people have access to money in the country. And therefore your board is really going to be made up of those people. Mm -hmm. And then there's like maybe 10, okay, say let's do percentages, right? So we got a hundred people, 10 of them are going to be people of color with money. And those if ten you're people, lucky. If you're lucky. And those 10 people have a lot of boards to be on. yeah, Right? Because yeah. it's, it's the, the same, same 10 people. And,
0: yeah. Everybody wants on their board. You
2: shuffle around and then, you know, whatever. So first of all, you got to be really honest about the actual reality of what the situation is. Why your boards are the way they are is because you need access to money and the people who have capital are not people of color. So first you make that case. So then be boldface about it and say that. And then you might then have to talk about how your board can be a mixture of other things then. Then you can have like some members that are really heavily fundraising members. And then there are others that are there for other reasons. And you can really, I think then you can shape your board as you need to, but why lie about that? Say that up front and say it with your big, your chest. The other thing is, then we talk about how you're hiring, the choices you're making, your policy decision, as Jason says. It's like, It's kind of like what people are saying to Biden. You have the ability in the first 100 days to do some things with a stroke of the pen. Do it, use it, use that power you have. Similarly in an organization, you are the head of your organization. You have choices you can make. You can say, you know what? I'm looking across the board right now and I have a hundred directors and 99 of you are white. I got to make some changes i not saying you fire people, but you got to like, you got to use the power that you have to shape and move things. And, and like, for me, it's like this, it's just a bunch of conversations. I find these things tedious yep. at best. They're, to- they're conversations. We know what's been going on. There's nothing new on the sun. That's going to be unpacked by a deep dive into something. You already know what's there. The research has already told you, there's absolutely, oh, you just have to so have to, to make those changes. This is That's how I feel about it. I listen, I said, goodwill, but it's about also reckoning, the reckoning of the leadership. Leaders have to ask themselves, why haven't I done this?
1: And I'm going to just, uh, there's one thing I would disagree with you on there. Yeah, people need to be fired to harken back to something we talked about earlier. I mean, I if think you, you look at your board, part of it. if you look at the board and 99% of them are white, then the real change is saying, okay, now, in order to get ready for the moment, and the moment is really like decades ago, in order to get ready for the moment, <laughs> some of you have got to step back and it's non-negotiable because we are opening a space for people of color, for queer people, for women. That's that's what we're doing. So thank you for your service. But if you want to help us here, you need to identify a queer person, a black person, a person of color, and you need to go out and get that person, bring them in and thank you for your service. Goodbye. But- like we said, people don't want to concede power, but it's it, it's for the person in power, the head of the board, to really make those decisions. And so I'm I agree that like
2: it's hard. It's there's hard no
1: new information it. under the sun. Just grab any black person in your organization and ask them what's wrong. And they will tell you without you having to pay, you know, a thousand dollars a session for someone to come in and tell you. Although I'm happy to take your money <laughs> and I will continue to do so.
2: Well also another part of it that I have to say for you when you ask the question why do those efforts often fail? I think it becomes a it becomes a scheme. It's just one more it's it's one more process that you add into the mix. Like you now have DEI experts, there's like a whole You mean a money-making scheme? Huh? It's a money-making a... scheme. Yeah. You know it's like it's it's like I mean at some point in time I'm waiting for people to create like a Black Lives Matter committee in organizations and create t-shirts and do things. I mean, it's like these things become, um, I'm
1: smelling cynicism.
2: I'm not, it's not cynicism, but I just think that what happens is people forget the reasons why they existed. You're there to actually work yourself out of business, right? Some of these places and DEI has, is a cottage industry now. It is what it is. And I respect the people who do it. I think that it, it is something that you have to train for. It's not something that should fall on your black or brown staff. It should be like you should be the DEI expert. Guess right. what? I bet you you know. But you know, what I mean, it is, <laughs> like, I do. Think you train for this. Um, it's so I really-
1: bad and so <laughs> true. Oh
2: but listen, who amongst you have not? Who amongst us? haven't been asked to take on a task simply because of our skin color. Mm-hmm. You must know this. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so I will I will admit that I think it does take expertise, but only the expertise to tell you the the, uh, the painful questions, to ask you the painful questions and then to have you, have you reckon with it and then to gently invite you on a journey. That's what they're there for. I feel like a DEI expert comes into an organization, susses it out right away and it's like, well, how am I gonna get them to admit it? How am I going to get them to admit the truth of what I'm seeing right here? <laughs> you know? And then how am I going to incentivize them to make change fast, efficiently?
1: And for and real. Not too much fun? <laughs> Let me ask this then, in taking this to our conclusion, what do DEI efforts really look like then? If you're going to hire someone to come in, what would you say you're hiring them to do? Like you work in an organization, Jason right? Mm -hmm. Like if you were going to hire someone to come in, like what could that person really do?
0: I think of three things immediately. One is you can collect data and you can collect data. Now to Trisha's point, Chris is rolling his eyes just so everyone knows. I mean, let me finish. Can I finish? Can I finish? I'm not sure.
1: Let's see. (laughs) If I don't like it, it's getting cut. Go. Oh,
0: great. (laughs) Um, Like Yes, to Trisha's point, companies can collect their own data, but if you have an outside person coming in to administer surveys and interview people, there isn't a chance that they're going to get more authentic responses from people on all, from all perspectives than people who are in the chain of command. That's one thing Two, to get to the expertise that Trisha mentioned is to be able to say, Hey, see this policy. I'll give you an example, which I've been thinking about as you two are talking. So it's very common practice in many companies to you know, ask candidates who are applying for a job with the organization for salary history, and then essentially to offer the person slightly more than their last making to recruit them to the organization. And, you know, the problem with that, as I've learned over the years, but I think a lot of organizations haven't yet is we know that we have systemic problems where women, people of color are making less than, you know, their their peers. And so um, you're just perpetuating that. So you need yeah. to, that's a, that's a habit that many organizations have. It's an example. I think of there's plenty of, um, you know, there's plenty of proactive racism out there, but in that case, it's often, again, it's the way it's always been done. It seems like, yeah, you do what you need to do. You want to preserve the organization's resources. So you, you offered slightly more than the person last made to the organization, but you're then perpetuating. So you need someone sometimes to come in and point those things out that I think some leaders just haven't thought about like, oh, that policy is a problem. You're perpetuating uh, you know, inequities. I, I'll stop there. But I think that there are things that someone could come in and truly help an organization do to change. But leadership needs to be open to change. And if leadership is not truly open to change, making very difficult decisions, then no matter who comes in, they're going to have a hard time.
2: What if the leadership is the problem?
0: I mean, I think the leadership is often the problem, Yeah, but, but there, you know, in my experience, there are leaders who are truly open and committed and are willing to change, willing to face the truth that they're the problem and change. I've seen some leaders like that and then there are other leaders that are defensive and it can't be me. And I've certainly seen leaders like that.
2: And that's when I feel like, I don't know how you solve that problem. I mean, I know many well-intentioned, but pointless leaders. Well, then I think- the, It gets
0: back to self-awareness, by the way, from mm-hmm. our previous conversation. Uh, yeah, Everything's just clicking together today. Yeah. Uh, I
1: would say like if the if DEI person comes in, like I know when I do this kind of work, I speak to the leader about like, I need someone to talk to that's not you about this. Like I need someone else in the room to hear what I'm going to say because I can't just rest with you, okay? And I think that's really important because it's like, I want the feedback loop to everyone else in the organization like I'm literally encouraging people to gossip about what I say about your organization because I think if the leader is the problem then if that gets out then people need to decide whether this is what they want to be a part of or not that's what it comes down to for me like I think someone coming in can give you the information to decide if this is what if this is what you want to be a part of and if it's like, look, um, these are the suggestions, these are the problems that I found. These are the suggestions that I'm making. This is why that I'm making them. And these are the barriers that exist. And one of those barriers is you, Mr. President, or whatever, <laughs> then yeah, then there it is. And if they go, thank you very much, get out. I'll be like, pay me first and now I'll leave. But I, but I just want someone else to hear that because then it trickles down and people have to say, oh, is that why I'm not getting ahead? Oh, is that why there are no black people working here? Oh, okay, well then maybe I should start thinking about making a change because I don't wanna be part of this. I just I just say that gets publicized. As always, as I've been saying since high school, I like my racists where I can see them. And if you're a part of the problem, then you need to be labeled as such to anyone who will listen.
2: I mean, and I get it. An organization, um, the leadership of an organization is um, a very complex thing, but ultimately the buck stops with you. Yeah. Right. I mean, how complex is
1: that? That's not that complex.
2: I mean, it's complex because some people think to themselves, well, I mean, well, but I'm like, very well. Little fires everywhere. I'm a good person, but I'm a good person.
0: (laughs) I've always been good to you people.
2: Yeah. I mean, you could mean (laughs) well, but, but I mean, one of the things I think it's really important for people to say is just that it's not a priority, right? Because I think that organizations value diversity equity and, and inclusion but it's just not a priority and then we can say to ourselves okay can we put the list of things that are our priorities and that will tell us what why we've been making decisions we've been making all along yeah and i just think that sometimes i if an organization is rotten it's rotten from the top it's not yeah. rotten from the not back. from
1: the core it's not from the core it's from the
2: top It's from the top. Yeah. And so if your organization has consistently had this problem, it's on you. Mm -hmm. And I hate that because nobody wants to be in that position as a leader. You've heard the signals and you've just chosen to ignore them.
1: Or you've, or you prioritize something else. Well, we have to think about, I mean, I've heard that a lot this summer. Well, you know,
2: this one's got a lot of money, deep pockets,
1: because I'm an agitator on this and I've, I've been told point blank, well, you know, the summer was really hard. COVID hit a lot of people hard. They're gonna be thinking about their pocketbooks right now and we can't really afford to make this change or push this agenda. And I was like, so you're racist. Like let's, like you're either racist or anti-racist and you're choosing racism. And that's cool. I just think everyone should know that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, and I I'm going to so tell okay. everyone about this I conversation. Okay. I mean, and I think it's okay for you to admit that. Like, yeah. I just think it's fine for an organization to say, this has not been a priority. And I think that's more honest. It's more honest to say, you know what, yeah. frankly, this has not been our priority. And that is why we've been making these decisions. Yep. MMM. But now that we're making it a priority, our decision, our decisions will necessarily look different. Yeah, they, have to, different. they yep, have, different. have to be different. They have to be different. And then it's strange how that happens. It's strange how suddenly your decision-making just changes, but you might have to deal with the loss of prestige because that's when I think the loss of capital. Yeah. And I think that's when you have to deal with context. You have to say, you know what, our organization exists within the context of the U S which is this thing. I don't know if you all saw, but there was some, some weird piece running around on social media about how certain certain phrases were going to be banned in certain institutions like institutional racism was not something that you can like accuse an organization of or certain terms you can't use anymore. And to me, I mean, I think that's that's a really clear pushback to the current moment, right? It's like we now have to admit to the truth of the environment and the the air that we breathe. And I think it's I think it's really challenging for organizations with to exist within this context and pretend as if it doesn't infect the air that they, they breathe as well.
1: Okay, cool. We're gonna move on to recommendations, which is something that you've seen, heard, read, or experienced that you think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. Jason, I can't wait for you to describe this.
0: So, ah, oh, I'm so excited to talk about this. It's very short, but I think it's worth a recommendation. I came across this article from clickhole.com. The title is who gives a shit. NASA says it has a huge announcement to make about Neptune. And what I want, what I want to say about this is I read this and I was laughing out loud. I could not stop laughing because it is exactly how I feel about most things related to outer space. I sent it to Chris and Trisha, and Chris got back and said, this was hilarious. What I want to end by saying though, is I shared it with my wife, my wife read it. I remember we were in the car, she read it on her phone and she looks over me and she's like, she did not laugh. She goes, this is terrible. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? And she said, look, the people at NASA, this is their mission. This is what they're supposed to do. And they're being made fun of. And I was like, look, 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 (laughs) look. I don't think anyone's blaming them because no one gives a shit about what they're doing, but no one gives a shit about what they're doing. It's not a critique of them. I could not get her there. She was like offended for them. Wow. But I recommend it. It's hilarious.
1: It is hilarious. (laughs) Also, there is an episode where Jason talks, just uh, talks quite a bit about how much he does not care about science news. Uh, I'll try and find the episode (laughs) where he says that. Uh, next let's, let's is... save
0: our climate. And like, once our climate's in great shape, we can worry about fucking Neptune. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: you can do two things at the same time, but I know. I know, right? It. Hello,
1: no, no. no, uh, no Trisha, what do you got?
2: It's time to get back to some book reading. You're I'm always reading right books.
1: We to... mean so get back to it.
2: I mean, I haven't read a full book in a while. Okay. I'll be honest in the last couple, not a full real book. And I don't mean this as an insult to you romance novels. Cause I basically go through like candy. Um, but Are you a book where I feel like novels? I have to really like pull out <laughs> and make notes in the corner. I love when that happens too. Mm. So I'm going to recommend a book that I'm about to start. I'm, I've been working my way through and it's called Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper. A Black Feminist Discovers Her Superpower. I read Brittany Cooper's Respectable Women's book a couple months ago, and I just loved it so much. And I appreciated that thinking. And so I just picked this one up because I needed to connect with rage. I mean, I'm not necessarily an angry person. I don't think people experience me that way. And so I kind of want to understand how rage tells its own tale and how you use your rage and how you channel your rage. I think I have Do you to
0: suspect get... you have some Latin rage? rage?
2: No, I mean, I'm an angry person, but I don't experience myself that way. But I know that people automatically assume that I'm angry when I simply say what I mean. I, I
0: mean, you're a black woman, right? Yeah, black exactly. women say what they mean and you're angry.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, I say what I mean, I mean what I say. I'm very direct and I'm forthright. And so um, why, why are you
0: so angry right now?
2: <laughs> I know, exactly, right? <laughs> like, you Intimidation
0: know, they're all, these... <laughs> <by
2: Trisha. laughs> <laughs> no, all these really interesting, like signals about what anger is, like elevated voice, like directness, like all of these like signals that we have about what angry is, are all the kind of signals of just like how black women present themselves to the world. And it's like, oh my God, that means you're angry. I'm like, maybe I'm not angry. But then I was thinking to myself, maybe I won't resist the label of anger. Let me like actually like interrogate what that is then. And so this is the book i'm 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 gonna take a deep dive in and and sort of see because I, I like I enjoyed her writing before, and I think um, it should be fun. I want to I check
1: probably- in with you when you're done with the book to see if it's like a she's got a have it situation or
2: oh no. you know, disavow right?
1: it by the time you're done. Um, <laughs> which sliding into my recommendation, I've been reading this book. I just finished it. It's taken me a long time and I refused to recommend it before, but now I am ready. This book is called Dying of Whiteness, How the Politics of Racial Resentment is Killing America's Heartland by Dr. Jonathan Metzl. This book was great. So what the author is asking, like, he sees that conservative white Americans continuously support and embrace politicians who... Pledge to make their lives great again. Where have you heard that before? And sort of using racial dog whistling to garner support from like poor white conservative people. He goes to Missouri, Kansas, and Tennessee, and he looks at gun laws in Missouri, the Affordable Care Act in Tennessee, and the education policies in Kansas and how the white people there, they're voting. They vote for candidates who want to upend the laws, like either, you know, have more pro gun legislation in Missouri, repeal the Affordable Care Act in Tennessee, et cetera, et cetera, because there's this consensus that, well, oh, we don't want some Mexicans to get health care, or we need our guns to protect ourselves from uh, dark people, et cetera, et cetera. But what the author finds is that these policies are actually killing those constituents. Like these people are literally dying of the idea of whiteness. In Missouri, for instance, when they had all this program legislation that people voted in because they wanted it because they needed protection, is that while death by firearm went up for black males, it like sex toppled for white males. Like literally white people were being killed. Life expectancies dropped precipitously in Tennessee once they repealed the Affordable Care Act because some people couldn't countenance the idea that they'd be involved in health networks with people they found undesirable. They literally cashed in years of their life to make sure other people would not get a benefit. The book is really interesting. Maybe it won't tell you anything you don't know, but he really dives into statistics. And when you look at it in the graphs, you're like, wow. Well, my takeaway was like, oh my God, so these people are gonna kill themselves party. Like after a while, they just won't be around anymore. But I think it it is an interesting idea to think that so much of the rights tent is people who are just voting against people of color and they literally don't care if they are shoveling their own graves. There's something to that. It's dark, but it's deeply instructive. So Mm. I'd recommend it. It's a good read. And if you like statistics, it's a fantastic read. If you don't like statistics, you can skip three whole chapters in this book. Anyway, that's my recommendation. Check it out. It took me forever to read. Um, That's more my fault than the author's. I want to say a couple of things. One, I haven't said this in a long time, but please rate our podcast. It helps people find it. So whatever you're listening to, just please give us five stars or four. Just kidding. Please only rate five or don't rate it all and write a fun comment. Also, now you can write us if you are interested in telling us what you thought or Telling us if we talked about DEI before. Uh, <laughs> you can write us at crew at outrageouspodcast.com. That's thecrew, T-H-E-C-R-E-W at our outrageouspodcast.com. And let us know what you think of the show after you rate us. But we don't want to hear stars. anything negative and no bullshit, please. Okay?
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> You're so inviting, Chris. Talk about open to change. What?
1: <laughs> yeah, we're open to change on this podcast, but no bullshit ideas. <laughs> so we don't want to hear it. I'm just I'm we don't want to hear it. <laughs> we're messaging around this, that's all. Oh everyone, and you know what, on that note, bye. Bye! bye.